Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Steve James hosts the afternoon drive from 3 to 6 on weekdays on Radio 3 and first came to Hong Kong at the age of 16 in the late 1970s. Since he was a baby, he's enjoyed staring at record players, has a thing for the Beatles and loves sound production. He's the son of the late Dennis James, who was a band leader in Hong Kong. He's also the man who did that MTR song. Steve James sat down with me for a bit of a banter to mark his 31 years in broadcasting. This isn't right, you know. <laughs> this isn't right. You, you have war veterans on. <laughs> You do you do proper history. This this is this is kind of wrong. It's a slow week. <laughs> did you first come to Hong Kong when you were sixteen? Yes, I did. I'd started college, so finished you were, school. You were a tall, gangly teenager. Tall, gangly, I was, and uh, in my mind, I still am. Then I catch a glance in the mirror. Dad was already here and had landed a gig leading a band. And it looked like he was going to stick around. He was enjoying the lifestyle, so he brought the family out. What were you studying at college? Dra- drama. No, no. Stage management. Drama. So were you sort of like behind the scenes or protagonist on stage? Oh, they were trying to push me on. Yeah, you had to do both. Uh, and I was really enjoying it. I was studying the, the, the history of, of costume and uh, all the things I wouldn't possibly think I'd be interested in. So were you a And makeup of- and all that sort of stuff. Are you a look back in anger chap or are you uh, Shakespeare? Um, I ignored it completely and went into the technical side because I suddenly realised, ah, oh, stage fright. So alas, poor Yorick, that was the end of that. That was, yes, yes. late father was uh, Dennis James and uh, he led the band at Ned Kelly's last stand he's been on the program a few years ago actually mm. in a phone interview and uh, he was so he was already at Ned Kelly's last stand in Ashley Road in Chimsachoy yes he was working there and he'd met somebody who was as he t- you know if I look back now I can see how it happened a guy's in town he's working for Robert Chua Productions a straight out from Channel 7 from Australia and he's helping build this studio. They're, they're refurbishing a, an old house in Kowloon Tong. It was Robert Trier Productions. He was setting up his own. He'd been working with TVB, big success with TVB. And he was uh, starting off his own uh, production company, post-production TV and film production. And he took over this building and they needed a gopher. This guy, so this guy is out from Australia and, he's out and he needs to gather a staff together to build this thing. And he's obviously got talking to Dad, and he says, oh, my kid's into that. And he's never told me the conversation. I've just assumed that's how it went. And they basically got drunk together. And the next thing, I'm on a plane coming over with the rest of the family. So, uh, yes, it was a gopher, a runaround. And it was everything I don't do. (laughs) Measuring, counting, drilling, cutting, none of these things. I don't do any one of those things. Are you not very practical, Chappie? That's correct. I learned a great deal from it. And later on, I got onto the operational side and was uh, using tape operating. So um, the old umatic tape machines. I learned to thread up old 35mm film projectors because they were doing the first telecine transfers onto this new format, VHS. And it was, that was very, very interesting. 
So at age 16, as a drama student, as you head over to... <laughs> drama student. <laughs> as you head over to Hong Kong, what would you have said you were your early music influences at that time? Early music influences? I was growing up on English pop radio, so... You know, that, and that was, a, that was a weird and wonderful thing. It was always production. So I was always the one that would be recording uh, Tom Brown off the chart show on a Sunday night and carefully editing him out. Yeah. So I just got the music, which came back to bite me many, many years later coming here to uh, RTHK. And um, one of my first live shifts, Tom Brown was reading the news. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was in the days when they, the, uh, now they're separate studios. So Tom Brown in Britain would have been working for whom? Uh, BBC. He was doing the chart show at the end of the week. And he came into the studio, he sat right in front of me, like this, and uh, I went to introduce him and forgot his name and died right there and then. And he was brilliant about it. He was absolutely wonderful. Tom Brown's spectacular. Six o'clock on Radio is one and two. My name's Tom Brown, and this evening we're going to play you the top 20 best-selling singles of 1977, as compiled for the BBC by the British Market Research Bureau. And before the number one, here's a rundown of the top 20 best-selling singles of 1977. Five, four, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Number 20, Magic Fly from Space. 19, Rockin' All Over the World, Status Quo. 18, Lucille, Kenny Rogers. And 17, Name of the Game from ABBA. <laughs> 16, Evergreen, Barbara Streisand. 15, Mar Baker, Boney M. 14, Fanfare for the Common Man, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And 13, Malav Kintyre from Wings. <laughs> Twelve Black is Black La Belle Epoque, eleven Yes Sir I Can Boogie from Baccarat, ten Chanson d'Amour Manhattan Transfer, and nine Angelo The Brotherhood of Man. Eight So You Win Again Hot Chocolate, seven Way Down Elvis Presley, six I Feel Love Donna Summer, and five Knowing Me Knowing You from Abba. Four, Silver Lady, David Soul. Three, When I Need You, Leo Sayer. And number two, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, Julie Covington. And this is the best-selling single of 1977. Don't Give Up On Us from David Soul, the number one best-selling single of 1977. I was brought up on jazz and R&B and these amazing... Uh, I mean, I look back at it now. At the time, it was just... I was always fascinated with the record player. I, as a kid, as a baby, apparently, you could just stick me in front of a record player. I didn't do anything. I just watched it. But that hasn't changed. <laughs> And the record collection was a mix match of stuff left over from parties, stuff taken off of jukeboxes. So the the mismatch of music was all over the place. You know, you'd go from uh, Mac the Knife, Bobby Darren, to trad jazz maybe. There's a lot of jazz in there. But there'd be some classical in there and, the, and some bubblegum pop record of the time that I was into. But jazz and R&B and then the pop music I was hearing on the radio and this strange rock that was being played by John Peel at night. I couldn't quite get my head around, but he spoke about it with such enthusiasm. And after a while, I found myself listening to the programme more and more. I mean, at that age, are you just listening um, for the hits or are you listening for the blurb in between? Definitely not the blurb. No, it was for the music. Yeah, you know, I wanted to edit the DJ out. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I learned that's why the DJs would talk right up to the vocals so that you couldn't nick the records off. I think so. That's for you know early early training there, and on to cassette tapes. 
course. Well, n- no, initially it was open reel. My dad brought me a second-hand Philips open reel machine. And that was, um, I wired that somehow into the, uh, I ruined the stereo by wiring that in and uh, recording that way. Later, he, uh, dad uh, came back with a cassette machine um, from uh, overseas. He was traveling a lot then and he came back with this cassette machine. I didn't know what a cassette machine was. And it didn't look as impressive as open reel. So I didn't know what that was about. And then he took me out to uh, W.H. Smith's to buy my first pre-recorded cassette. Which was? Little Richard's Greatest Hits. Lucy! Those were the early forays into sort of, as you say, your your early musical influences. You're trying drilling, uh, not quite so successfully. Um, I'll have you know, I got a license. <laughs> I got a license to kill to to use a hilti gun. I had you couldn't use one unless you had a license. What does that do? A hilti is a great big chunky gun that you push up against the wall. Well, you did in those days to fire bolts. Into the uh, uh, into into concrete, and then you'd screw stuff and hang really heavy duty stuff on it. But you couldn't use one unless you had a license. So I had to learn how to strip it, very James Bond, how to strip it down, put it back together. <laughs> Got my license. Quite proud. I'm talking to disc jockey Steve James on 31 years in broadcasting. Why does disc jockey sound different <laughs> when you say it? Now, in the late 1970s, early 80s, what was the radio scene here? I mean, you have uh, RTHK, you have commercial radio. When I arrived, it was uh, commercial radio and uh, uh, RTHK. RTHK had this guy that dad, mum and dad knew presenting, and I'd met him because it's Ralph Pixton, presenting the, uh, the phone-in programme of people calling up and complaining uh, expats calling up and complaining about the hole in the road outside and the noise that they're making. And um, I'll get on to that right away. And then they get them on the line and sort, the, sort out the problem, it seemed. In the mystical world of radio, they seemed to sort things out. Then there was commercial radio, which I found fascinating because it was um, all so much faster and pop music it was going like this and everyone had a false American accent and, and, then the, and, then the, and, and this minute was brought to you by this bunch of commercials and then this next bit was brought to you by this bunch of commercials. It was insane, absolute madness. And uh, the wonderful thing is over the years, I got to meet all those people that were doing those uh, programs and ended up uh, uh, working in both places. Where's your false American accent? That was it. <laughs> I just, I'd, but it was did, Metro as well, wasn't it? Uh, Metro came along much later. Right. I'd started work at um, uh, commercial radio. Uh, as what? I was actually working for Rick's Cafe in Hart Avenue, and they had a sponsored program once a week on commercial radio where you basically played cool music and you showed off the latest cocktails and the prices. This half hour is brought to you by Rick's Cafe in Hart Avenue. Jim said, I'm plugging them now. Oh, they don't exist. And then they asked me to do some part-time work live. I always knew that I didn't want to, if I got a chance to work in radio, and I was way too scared and nervous to actually apply for work in radio. Otherwise, I would have done it a lot earlier. But I knew I didn't want to work at commercial radio because I, I listened and I knew that the presenters quite often have to read their own news. You know? And they asked me to do uh, 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 The Weekend, so I did the first one. Sa- I said, so what's with the news reading? They said, if the sub uh, doesn't read, um, uh, we've, we've got lots and lots of readers, you know, but sometimes they're not there, and so then the DJ the, the, the does have to. I see. Well, you can work on that. My first weekend, my first Saturday, 
no newsreader. My first time on the air, on the radio, live, and there's no newsreader. And I can't even stand up in front of a group of people and read out loud. And uh, I, I, I died. Years you've uh, with uh, Radio Three, you've uh, done a, a lot of um, well, they're not exactly jingles, are they? They're, they're sort of um, parody songs. Pa- parody songs, yes, yes. So there was and one skits, yeah, one recently on filibustering. I remember filibuster. That was an obvious one because the Ghostbusters movie was uh, uh, was out and about, and people know the song anyway. Um, yeah, I, I do like to, if I can, find um, a song that is uh, really well known, and you go for as many cheap puns as possible. If it rhymes, if it rhymes with the title, if it rhymes with any part of the song, I want to do that song. So yeah, that sort of uh, that sort of thing. other examples i remember edelweiss uh the tune was all the mtr stations but that was a fairly mild one no that was uh that wasn't edelweiss that's an interesting uh, concept uh no it was um <laughs> do a deer a female deer that one whatever right. that one's called yeah and that seemed to push um an awful lot of buttons because it was so local it's mtr stations and it's a cute tune that everybody knows so the reaction to that was, to this day, astounds me. Let's start from the very beginning, though there's plenty of places to start. If you want to get around, you can get all over town just by stepping underground onto the MTR. MTR? MTR, KCR said, just follow me. Tai Wu Hao. Kwai Hing, Kwai Fong, Lai King, and Mei Fu Lai Chi Kok. Xu Xiaowan, Shap Shui Po, and Tai Chi Do. James Trains, Shekit Mei Kao Lun Tong. Lok Fu, Wong Tai Xin Diamond Hill. Choi Hong, and on to Kao Lun Bay. Now Tok Kok, 
But people are still posting me videos every now and then. Got one a few weeks back of a dodgy uh, phone video of their possibly four-year-old um, doing a, they're, they're doing a, a thing for the parents and they're doing the MCR song. And I know, I mean, complete with the same intonation that I did on the piece. Uh, and, and it's just amazing that, that that pushed so many buttons. So, I mean, has the MTR song had to be expanded with the Southern Line? Now, see, that's that's the thing. The whole the whole thing is people kept saying when the, as the MTR's um, uh, expanding, you're going to have to change the song. Well, not really, because the song is about a loop of one route. That route hasn't changed. It's just those stations. I haven't done all the MTR stations. Have you actually sung it on board? On board the MTR? Yeah. I've uh, I've wanted to many times. <laughs> when the ego's feeling a little a little limp, and uh, and I need uh, don't you people know? <laughs> You are. I'm amazed by the amount of people that know the song. Yes. But uh, they do. They uh, they show people around the studios here every Thursday. They show uh, the students around. What to show? 1980s technology. Correct. So they show people around and um, they introduce. And they go to the news department. So they go to the various areas of this, and they go into the live studios. And uh, more often than not, they'll say, "They, they don't." This is Steve James. You won't know him. He's the man who did the MTR song. And, and then I go, hey, you get all that business. So <laughs> so that's your moment. That's my 15 minutes, big time. <laughs> and welcome back to this very exciting match between our two main contenders for the title this afternoon. Hope you enjoyed the halftime entertainment here at the stadium. That performance of Lisa Kuo singing Stand By Your Man, very touching, very touching indeed. And out onto the pitch comes CY, the King's College boy... Looking suave, looking confident, dressed in his blackish gold colours. And here comes Henry, fresh out of his own personal basement changing rooms. Oh, and listen to the crowd. Hong Kong's youth really pulling for CY. And for Henry, the buildings department are doing their traditional hacker. Illegal, illegal, illegal structure. Illegal, illegal, illegal structure. Almost brings a tear to the eye, and they're back in play. Henry straight in there going for CY. CY to Henry. Henry accusing CY of a lack of admin experience. CY to Henry. Henry's trying to pass it off to his wife. Oh, look at the mud fly. Some of it landing there on Chanyok Singh in the crowd. And oh dear, Henry's complaining to the ref. What's he accusing CY of now? Is CY breaching the rules maybe? And the ref's pulled CY over. But it's CY who's pulled out the red card. My goodness, they're reinterpreting the interpretation of the basic rules. Albert Ho, the water boy, runs on with refreshments. What an atmosphere it is here in the stadium. Fanny Law looks on from the sidelines, as does Team Yip, who, of course, didn't qualify this afternoon. And, oh, what's this? Here we go. A streaker. I think we've seen him here before. Oh, thank goodness he's wearing a bow tie. Also, at five o'clock, you very much take a risk on a Friday night. Because I work with Harry Wong, who I worked with 
at uh, Metro uh, doing the breakfast show for about... Well, we worked together 10 years, but doing the, the breakfast show about nine and a half years But you can definitely tell. I mean, I, that's, for me, one of the favourite hours because you, you have this, well, a rapport based on the fact that you've known one another a long time, you can yeah. tell. But also, you take broadcasting, I like, because there's not a lot of that in Hong Kong of um, in English language radio. Of I'm sure there's plenty of risk on, on Chinese language, but of, of uh, you know, joking, but just taking it a bit on the edge. The Harry thing is an experiment which uh, uh, does not uh, always work and it was always an experiment because we used to we, we do have a rapport we did spend a lot of time talking to each other uh, on and off uh, the microphone our biggest rapport was for bilingual radio FM select metro so he'd be handling the Chinese I'd be handling the English we worked out a routine and we like each other's humor so we've we've got that we've got the, definitely a Hong Kong link we've got the the foreigner and the, the Chinese guy who, you know, deals with the foreigner, but actually he's been here a long time. And uh, I had a bowl of the most fantastic char siu rice ever. Oh, yeah. In my whole life. Okay? Okay. Char siu fan. Okay? Char siu is... You're speaking my language with the char siu, my friend. Pork. Yep, beautiful. And uh, it's very interesting because if you don't know how to translate char siu and you try to get the translation... Actually, the translation is uh, fork burn. Fork burn? Yeah, because Again, char is fork on AM radio, burn, my friend. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it's actually barbecue pork. It, oh, in it's fact, gorgeous. It, yeah, it's, it's, gorgeous. it's this very sweet honey glaze that... Speaking the language of the foreigner, my friend. Yeah. Well, I think also for me, um, both growing up and even now, you know, when I get up in the morning, for me, it's it's not only just the content, but it's the regularity, it's the, it's the company. Uh, when I switch on the radio, it's yeah. a, there's a there's a comfort element, exactly. and, and and that's also what local radio provides. Yes. Um, and so when I take, I mean, this is a, a British example, but for example, when uh, quite recently the DJ Terry Wogan, and he was also a TV personality, died. For me, that was primary school. That was absolutely getting up and going to school. Same for me. It was Terry Wogan that introduced me to the Manhattan Transfer. You know, what was this music he was playing? What What is that? The Java Jive? <laughs> what? So that was wonderful. He introduced me to all sorts of the stuff. The Java Jive? Yeah. Give Man- me a bit. Manhattan Transfer. No. <laughs> Play the song. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Jive and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. The person that changed radio for me was Kenny Everett. He changed it completely. He turned it on its head. So he was Radio 1 DJ, he was a personality. At uh, the time I heard him, I found him... Uh, was on... he Radio 1? He was He was with someone else before. Was he one of these Radio it, Caroline or any of those? He was with uh, yeah, Radio London, I think it was. Oh, right. um, and uh, uh, he was with Capital Radio yeah. and that sort of thing. I didn't know any of that at all. I just heard our local uh, new... In Portsmouth, uh, in in Fairham, Portsmouth, our new radio station was called Radio Victory. Victory, super weekend. And uh, at the weekends, one morning, one Sunday morning, I was listening and this uh, program started. And I, uh, it's difficult to describe now, uh, but it had sound effects, silly voiceovers, Funny links into songs, clips from American radio, jingles, fake commercials. That was it, the fake ads. 
um, we had a wonderful ways of getting in and out of songs, and I was hooked from day one and recorded every single show from there on. And his interest in the Beatles and Queen definitely had an influence. Hello and welcome to Radio 4 and a program of sumptuous wit and amusingly light-hearted bantering chaired by a chap who needs no introduction and certainly carries it on with an air of delightfully intimate fun and good taste. Speaking as a youngster, I'd like to see something happen of similar magnitude and fabulousness as the Beatles. Do you remember the Beatles? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came, Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks in the grave. No one was saved. What charming lads. I was going to ask about the Beatles. How did that come about? Uh, I was f- fascinated with this old poppy sound that I didn't like. You know, the old graunchy black and white. He loves you. I couldn't stand any of that. No, it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. It was a long way away. That was, that was almost ten years ago. Hundreds of years away from, <laughs> from me at that time. And yet, here was this band doing this, this completely different music. Rock, revolution. And they, same group of people. And I'd learned that they really didn't like each other very much. Not strictly true. And I became fascinated in the output of this band. A group of people working together who weren't getting on had gone from this to this. It probably started from McCartney backwards because I noticed there's a few songs he was releasing that I liked and realised I knew he was part of the Beatles and loved Hey Jude and all that stuff. So I started listening more and just discovering more about their albums and I became fascinated in the change in that band and then picked up on the change in the 60s that that band represents and was part of. Uh, from beginning to end, is fascinating. Uh, there's a, a brilliant movie, which has got a vague Hong Kong link, uh, called Across the Universe, which um, I, I didn't want to see because it it's, it's a, a musical about with other people singing Beatles songs. But I kind of had to go to the showing here because it had Teresa Carpio's sister in it. And uh, I went along, and it is brilliant. And one of the key things it does is just that. it use, They come up with their own, you know, dodgy love story storyline. Um, but it represents, using their music, it goes from, and, and various mythology around the 60s. It starts from early, late 50s, innocence and lovely, through to the changes of the 60s, and ends up, you know, and the, the two get together in the end. You know, it's just a love story that plays off. But it includes the Beatles, it uses the Beatles' music as the soundtrack of, of change across the world. And then, of course, Teresa Carpio and Teresa Carpio's sister, uh, they're all part of a big singing family here, aren't they? Absolutely, and that, that's one of the wonderful things I've definitely gotten to enjoy uh, over the years is, is uh, uh, becoming friends with uh, Teresa and all sorts of names that um, we've met over the over the years. Perry Martin, I still see his records in the record shop. He went away from Hong Kong for a long time. He's back in town now. He's with Rowena Cortez. Um, and there's all these wonderful people. You've got, you know, you've got the old names of the 70s um, that I used to listen to their music. You know, they did the cover mu- They did the cover songs and they're all very cutesy. But they're all still performing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Louis Castro. Amazing. Still, uh, I worked with Sandra Lang. It was part of Chopsticks from the early, in the early 70s and late 60s. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy with stars of gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my side. 
the old lovey showbiz side of it, I love. Every, every now and then we meet up, because a lot of them work to Metro as well. That Anders Nelson, you know, if you, uh, as soon as you start talking about music and old Hong Kong music, he's all over it. He's there, you know. It's with Anders uh, and, and Perry Martin that, uh, you know, they used to uh, allow me into the studio while they were recording, you know, which is my, actually, to talk about my love in life, actually, it, you know, we've been talking about radio. It's, kind of the, it's production. It's producing music or creating and editing and uh, manipulating sound. That's my thing. Finally, could you do an advert for Hong Kong Heritage in a DJ mid-Atlantic accent? I'm not sure I can, but if you listen this week to Hong Kong Heritage with Anna Marie Evans, you, uh, Evans, <laughs> Evans, I think it's cracked. I don't actually do a North America. I don't do. I can't do this. No, <laughs> even my Ralph Pixton comes out as Sean Connery. <laughs> Steve James, who you can hear on weekdays from three to six on his afternoon drive on Radio Three. Here's wishing you a very happy new year. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>